Genesis chapter 27. Now, if you've been with us and following along, last week we ended with Esau was busy taking up wives for himself, pagan wives, wives he should not have been touching. While Jacob was digging wells, unfortunately, because Esau chose wives that were pagan, in doing so, he broke the heart of his parents. And that's what happens when you go against and do not do it according to God's way, kids, children, regardless of age, there's consequences, and it doesn't just affect you. It always brings grief and weight upon those who love you. So it's a warning right up from the very beginning, from last week to here. Make sure. If you do it God's way, it brings blessing, and it brings just a refreshment to a parent. But when you go your own way, it brings grief. So here we see in chapter 27 a deception. Deception happens in a family when you go against God's way and you're trying to do it your own way. Deception starts kicking in in that family. And we will see an entire family will be deceiving one another to be able to get what they want. But in chapter 28, we'll make it a little lighter. In chapter 28, we're going to see grace. And we're going to see God's grace come about when he doesn't deserve it, but God still does it. And so, deception to grace. Chapter 27 of Genesis, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So we see here right in the very beginning, these first two verses, we see that Isaac is contemplating his age. He's sitting around and saying, you know, I am getting old here. My eyes have dimmed. I can't even see now. He's blind. It happens at birthdays, doesn't it? You have your birthday and all of a sudden, oh, how old am I? And your spouse reminds you of how old you are. And you, and you realize, I'm, I'm getting old. And what happens is it starts causing you to start thinking about your life and what you need to plan for. Now, it's no different here with our our. our, our Characters here in our story here, Isaac, he's 137. Now remember, you turn 137 and you remind you of many things. And I no doubt in, his, in our minds that he was reminded that Ishmael died at 137. Now he says here in verse 2 that I don't know the day of my death, which was right. He's, that was rightly said. But he's sitting there going, I'm 37, Ishmael died at 137, I better, oh, what's going on in my life, I, what do I need to do to accomplish, I'm the patriarch, I need to have things put in place, and you can sit here and, and, and in your own mind's eye can sit there and say, you know, I've done that myself. I've gotten really old, I'm now 28, this is really going to, what's my life going to be like here? But he was 137. Now, we know by Scripture that Isaac doesn't die until he's 180. That is 43 years later from the time he thinks he's got to get his life in order because he's going to die. But God had a plan. He's going to stretch his life out of 43 more years. But we see here the father calls his oldest son. Now, that would be true and that would be right in most families at that, Hebrew families at that time. But not this family. This family is different. This family is chosen by God to bring about the, the messianic lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So it's not just any family that we're talking here. But here this father 
calls upon his oldest son, which as a patriarch would be normally, that's what you do. You call the oldest son because he's going to take over the inheritance. When he dies, he needs to have his order, things in order, and he's going to take care of the things, and the, the, the estate, and make sure everything runs, and everyone will be reporting to him. He'll be the master overall. But not this family. God had a different plan for this family. So we have to keep that in our mind as we remember back in even in uh, as, uh, uh, Matthew 25, verse 23, that God called the younger son, Jacob, to be the one that was going to bring about the birthright and the heir. Now, if you remember in the story prior, Jacob was a, 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 a conniver. He was a, he was a heel catcher, as you remember his name. And he was manipulated, and he took advantage of his older brother, Esau, by saying to him, right from the very beginning, remember there was two nations God said to, and, and to, to, to Rebecca to bring clarity. What is going on in the womb? He says, oh, there's two nations. They're at war with each other, and they're going to be at war with each other. And when they were coming out, they were still at war with each other. And as they were growing up, they're still at war with each other. And we find that they were one was a very, um, you know, outdoorsman type, as we will see in the scripture. And, and we see uh, Jacob was not. He was a smooth-skinned mama's boy, kind of internal, kind of like to stay inside. Two opposites, completely opposites. But remember, he was making some food, Jacob was, when Esau came in and he thought he was going to die because he was so depleted. And he didn't really care about the family. Esau really didn't care about the family. His birthright. Take her to leave. It didn't matter to him. I'm going to die. Who cares? But what's interesting in the story here, though, yes, Jacob deceived his brother and took advantage of his brother and took his birthright. But we're going to see that God had already said that he was going to get the birthright. So he didn't have to deceive his brother or connive his brother at all because God had already was doing a work. But what's interesting is that many times when you sit there and you sit there and you go, call in the oldest son. I need to talk to him. And in our mind's eye, when we sit there and we read this, we think, oh, how old is he now? Is he 12? Is he 15? Is he 18? Is he 21 now? Oh, he's, he's, he's a 21-year-old guy. No wonder dad's pulling him. No. Esau and Jacob are 77 years old at this point. He's married. He's got wives, pagan wives. So what happens here is in verse 3, he says, now, therefore, please... Isaac is saying to Esau, please take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. So the first thing that Isaac thinks of when he said, oh, I'm getting old. I, I can't see anything. I got to get my thing. I'm going to get my oldest son to come in here. And I am going to bless him. Why? Well, we saw previously that Isaac loved Esau. He was a man's man. Ooh, I'm a, he's a boy. He's my boy. He's a hunter. He's got strength. But Jacob, Rebecca loved Jacob. Oh, he's my little boy. He sticks with mama and helps me cook and does all these things. And we talked about how division can happen within a family when one parent favors another, and you are not to do that. That God has created each person uniquely, very uniquely, and God has a plan for their lives. And as parents, we are to nurture them up and train them up according to what God has for them. And we're going to see that these parents did, were not godly parents in the way to raise their sons up. That they were manipulating and moving and conniving to get them to do what they wanted to do as parents versus seeking the Lord's direction and what's best for those children and what God's plan. And God made it very clear very on, early on in the scripture that he had a plan and he made sure Isaac and Rebekah knew what that plan was. Maybe not all the details, but he knew there was set a, set a pattern, set a path for them, and they were trying to de deviate from God's best and God's plan. And you and I are never to do that. God has a sovereign declaration 
And his plan is what we seek after and we want to have fulfilled in our lives, in our children's lives. Amen? So we see here that he's all he's not thinking about, he's not walking in the spirit at this moment. All he can think about is flesh. <laughs> Go get some food and make something really good for me and feed my flesh, and I'm going to bless you. So he's being deceptive now. He knows, he, he, in his mind, he thinks he's doing what is right. Even though he knows clearly that God didn't say he was, uh, Esau was supposed to get the blessing. But he loved his son so much, his mind became cloudy and caused him to make a decision out of emotion versus out of God's direction and plan. And he was about to bless Esau and go against God, and that is never good. But God is in control. Amen? <laughs> Even when we're foolish, God is in control. And we're going to see how God's going to bring this around. So guess what happens? Now, Rebecca was listening. <laughs> Go figure. The mama, the wife, is listening to the conversation between father and son here. So Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, <laughs> Rebecca saying, now for my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Never good. So she's listening in on a conversation, okay, in the household. At this point, I don't think Rebecca is actually living in the same household as, as, um, as Isaac because, you know, She's already, he's already taken on wives at this point in time. She may obviously had her own space. But either way, she was hearing this conversation, and she immediately calls her son. If you notice there in verse 5, Esau spoke to his son, and then she sits there in verse 6, says Jacob is her son. Do you see the division? There's <laughs> nothing new with the son, right? One of the sons mess up. That's your son. <laughs> that is not my son. That's your son. And if something's really good, oh, she, she's my daughter. She's mine. You know, you claim them so quickly when they, depending on what they do or not do. But here, there's division. But notice in verse eight something that she steps over the line. She says to her son, "Obey my voice." He's a 77 year old man. You're going to obey my voice. I'm your mother, and I still can tell you what to do. No, no, that's not shouldn't be. And not only obey my voice, but I command you. No, God is the one you want to have be commanding one's life. What is God commanding you to do? What is God saying to you? What, what is his voice? What is his word saying to you? Parents, there's a difference between prying and praying. Do you know that? When a mother pries into their children's lives and manipulates them and coerces them to do what you want them to do because you have a vision for them, you need to seek God's vision for them and be praying for them that God, they would be obedient to God's direction for their lives. Stop pr prying. Because if you pry like Rebecca did, look what happens here. It doesn't get better here. It gets, it's, it's pretty bad. So she tells him in verse nine, "Go now, go to the, go now to the flock and bring me, uh, bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and he, and that he may bless you before his death." And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, "Look." Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. Esau means hairy. So he said, call Harry, get Harry in here. And, uh, and, and I am a smooth-skinned man. So, so Jacob is sitting there. He's getting convicted. He's questioning mom's, mom's direction here, commandment. Wait a minute. 
this is not going to turn out well for me. This is not going to work because something's not right with me. There's, there's a check in his spirit. And he says to her and questions her and pushes back, saying, you know, my brother and I are two different people. Dad is going to, even though he's blind, he's going to know this. He's going to sense it. He's going to figure it out, this. And if he does, I'm going to get a curse and not the blessing. Now, he was right there, wasn't he? He was right there. But he wasn't strong enough to say no to mom who was giving them a wrong commandment. It's a warning. When someone you love so much says to you that something that goes contrary to the word of God, but out of love for them, you listen to their voice and not listen to God's voice. You're causing problems. You're not helping them. Jacob was not helping the situation. Out of fear of losing a blessing, they were emotionally making a decision that is just starting the spiral down. Watch the spiral here. Verse 12, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. I seem to be a deceiver? No, you're going to be a deceiver. <laughs> you don't sugarcoat it. It was just a little white lie, not a, not a bad lie. It was just a half truth. Not, you know, it's still partly true. No, no, you can't be deceiving at all. There's no halfway point. It's truth or it's false. It's good or it's bad. It's you're a deceiver or you're, you know, you're not. So he's questioning here the, the challenge and the risk here. But verse 13, but his mother said to him, you'd think that would be enough to just prick her hard, just get her to recognize that you're asking me to do something wrong. But look at what happens to mother here. Rebecca says to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Okay, we're going to soften up dad here. We're going to soften up your father. I know how to do that. And I'm just going to get him his favorite meal. And I'll get it all nice on the table and favorite meal. And then I'll spring it on him <laughs> what I needed to do. I'm just going to manipulate my husband with the food. Because the flesh works every single time. Nothing newer to the sun, is it, ladies? Not that you ladies do it here. No, I know you guys don't ever do that. Of course not. Um, so what happens here? Then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. She's very smart. She's starting to think through all the details. Okay, he can't see, but he has other senses. He can smell, he can touch, he can hear. How are we going to overcome this situation? Ah, I'll go get the clothes, those outdoorman clothes that Esau has. And she happens to have them in her possessions and goes and get those choice clothes that he has. He must wear all the time his favorite clothes. Then when he goes hunting and puts them on Jacob so that he will, what? Smell like Esau. Why? Because Jacob did not smell like Esau. He wasn't an outdoorsman at all. But then she doesn't stop there. Then she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. Why didn't Jacob go out and catch the game? Why? Because he didn't know how to hunt. <laughs> he wasn't a hunter like Esau. But she knew, she was pre-planning, we can use the goat's skin, and it has the hair on it, to make his hands, cover his hands up and the back of his neck so when dad brings him and embraces him and loves him and tenderly about to bless him by putting hands on him, he's going to feel the hairy hands that Esau has and the hairy neck that Esau has because Jacob did not. So again, deception from Rebecca here. So what happens next here? 
says, hey, take the food, go in to see your, your father, and let's see it played out here in verse 18. So he went, in, went to his father, and he said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat in my game, that your soul may be blessed. Your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. See the spiral? I don't think we should be doing this, Mom. I'll lose my blessing. Again, he's thinking of self. I'll lose my blessing, and I'll get a curse. It doesn't, I don't feel it. I don't, it's not good. Mom says, I don't care. I'll take the curse. Why? Because she loved him so much. What happened to her faith in God? She knew that God already said he was going to get the blessing and the birthright. Why is she now taking matters into her own hands to make things happen? It's a challenge we all have. God has given you a direction. God has given you a promise. He's showing you by his word what he's going to do in your life. But then we turn around and take control of it and think you're going to help God in accomplishing what he said he was going to do. And we mess it all up. And then we turn around and we justify our ways to meet the means. Right? What's the saying? I, the, the means justifies the ways? No, it does not. That's worldly thinking. That's cardinal thinking to think I can do whatever I can do, even if it lie and cheat and steal and deceive, because it's going to accomplish what God said he wanted to accomplish. That is not where we're to be. We're not to touch that. Or you get the most common saying in the Christian circles, God helps those who help themselves. Do you know that's blasphemy? That's not, that's not scriptural. Stop saying that if you're saying that. Because it's not biblical. It's not true. But it's so common in the Christian circles. You hear it taught that God helps those who help themselves. Show me in the scriptures. It's not true. But that's exactly what she's doing. I need to help God. Because it's just not playing out the way it is. And it doesn't seem like God is going to get what he's told me is going to happen. I know my, my son's supposed to get the blessing. But the, my, my husband is messing things up. So my, my husband's messing things up. I've got to get involved. And I'm going to make this happen and turn this thing around. Because he has no idea what he's doing. Ladies, be very careful. Be very careful how you interact in doing and stepping in God's role when he didn't ask you to do it. Be very careful because you can really mess things up because you'll spiral out of control. Because now here Jacob is lying to his father. And then after the lie there in verse 19, then we see now he has to then emphasize this, and he makes it worse. In verse, in verse 20 he says, because the Lord, your God, not my God, your God brought it to me. Very common. Is the Lord asked, said to you for you to do such and such? Oh, yes, the, yes, I, I, that's what we're going to do. Well, how's he shown you in the word to do that? Oh, God is with me. God has shown me. You, you know, God's all over it. God has spoke to me. God's leading me. God, we use the same thing to try to justify to your brothers and sisters about what you're doing that doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. It kind of goes against the word of God because it does. And you immediately throw God in. Oh, I love God and God, God's with me. Be very careful when you loosely use God to justify your mistakes or what you're about to do. Because God sees all things. You know that. He hears all things. So just throwing God's name in it, you know, Jesus, it doesn't make it right if it's against the word of God, what he's already told you. But that's exactly what he's doing because dad is smelling the conviction. God is speaking to his heart about this situation right here. How is it that you were able to go get that? Because you know dad, once he sent uh, Esau out to eat, he knows how long approximately to go find some, 
find a, a, an animal, to hunt it down, to kill it, to skin it, to eat it, to, to prepare it and bring savory food. He's got that figured out. Dad knows when dinner's ready, right? When, <laughs> when Bob says, oh, I'm starting to prepare dinner. Dad knows about how long before he's going to about sit down at that table. Does he, guys, are you with me? You've already figured this out. When it comes to food, we figure out how long it's going to take us to get the food. So he knew it was too quick and too soon. So he had, now Jacob is now being forced to put the lie on to God and say it was God now orchestrating these things. It's getting, it's getting worse. Falsely using God to cover your lie is wrong. In verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he's still not, that still didn't, he's still getting that little bit of poke, saying, hmm, something's still not right here. Now you would think at this point, this godly man would sit there and go, I hear God's voice speaking to me, and this is, there's doubt here. And when there's doubt, you don't move. You don't move forward. If there's doubt, you don't move forward. But he was so in. He was already being deceived. He was already in a, in a lie of himself, the fact that he was going to bless Esau already. So when you're in a lie and you're caught up in something and you haven't repented from it, you haven't gone out of it, then everything steamrolls and everything else kinds of gets wrapped up into the same thing. That's why you see people just, it just started here and I don't know how I ended there. It started here. It started with the mind. Then you contemplated a plan, and after you get a plan, then opportunity happens, and you commit the sin. You fall. That's how it works. And we see it playing out here in this family of deception. So Isaac said to Jacob, come closer to me. I need to feel you. He's relying on his senses right now. Something's not right, timing. Now I want to feel you. Because he knows his son Esau, and he's hairy. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and it said, the voice of, is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. See, here's where Isaac went wrong. He relied upon his own senses, how he felt, how he smelled. What does this, this situation doesn't smell right? But he listened to all of these factors were not lining up. And what he did not do, which he should have done, is gone back to the word. What did the word say? He shouldn't have been even contemplating. He shouldn't even have been in this situation. Shouldn't even have been happening. Because if all of a sudden he went back and said, "Wait a minute, something's not right. I've got doubt. Something here. Let me go back to the basics." What did God say? God said He was going to bless, bless Jacob, not Esau. And what am I doing right now? I'm I'm trying to bless Esau. Oh, I'm going against God. I got to stop. But he didn't do that. So what does he do? He continues to press forward. Verse twenty-four. Then he said. Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he's, he's, he's lied again. Again, he had an opportunity to confess. Make it right. But he chose not. And he said, bring it <clears throat> near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you, so he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought it, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, "Come near now and kiss me, my son." And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothes and blessed him. So you picture it. Come closer to me. You can see Jacob. <laughs> you know, just touch that part right there, Dad. Oh, you, you feel like the hand of, Isaac, uh, of Esau. 
come closer. And he's embracing him. And he's coming down to kiss his neck. As you know, in the culture, you come to kiss his neck. And you smell. You ever do that with your, your father? And you come and you come, Dad, I love you. And come and you give him a kiss. And all of a sudden, you smell your dad. And you remember your dad's smell. The colony war. You don't remember, you remember these things. And sure enough, we see him doing the same thing with his son to, get, to receive the kiss, the, the, the tenderness, the love that he has for Esau. And when he came close to him and he then blessed him, and look at the prayer. He says, surely I smell of my son is like the smell of a field. The good outdoors. Oh, I just love it. Which the Lord has blessed. But look at the blessing now, how it's laid out. Therefore, may God give you. So the first part of the blessing is, and it's like us are about to, to bless our children as a parent, as a father to our children. Do you tenderly come alongside your son, your daughter, and lovingly express your love and your tenderness toward them? And then do you therefore, may God give you of the dew of the heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine? The blessing here is, May God just provide things from the heavenly and from the earth and everything for your provision, for you, for food and to drink. Everything you need to sustain yourself is right here that he's blessing uh, Jacob with. Then he gives the second part of the blessing. Let people serve you. Not only God give to you, but now let the people serve you. Let you be the master. Let you be the leader of this community. Let you be the ones that people look up to, to come to, to receive guidance. So he says, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's son, sons bow down to you. Cursed, that's the last part of the, of the prayer here. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Remember, this blessing is to Jacob, who is the lineage of the Israelites. And you see the blessing. We know the blessing in the scripture. Those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will what? Be cursed. You see, this, you see the blessing right here played out, the rest of the scriptures, and the nation of Israel. Verse 30, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarce, scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. You can picture in the movie, right? You're seeing they're working on, you ever see the, like a, oh, I forget, uh, what's the term, um, you know, you saw one of those, robber kind of movies where the robber is at the safe and, and you're seeing them just barely getting it open and they're slipping out the window as just as the cops walk in. You know, that whole build up. That's exactly. You know Rebecca's back there going, hurry up, get this done. Hurry up, get this done. Because you know Esau is about to show up and he does. And God allows that separation. Again, Interesting that God would allow them to get out in time to allow this to play out. And God has a way to turn situations around. And watch how God works in the lives of these people. And he also had made savory food. Remember Jacob, uh, Esau showing up with some savory food, just as, as he promised, and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. You can imagine, Esau is absolutely flying high. Absolutely in cloud nine, thinking he's going to finally get back after his little brother. <laughs> his younger brother, right? He, he just knows this is all going to play out in his favor. Oh, he doesn't know God. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, uh, Who? Why? Because at that point, 
I believe Isaac realized God is right there dealing with him in the situation. And he is greatly afraid because he knows he was wrong. And this is not playing out. Who are you? And what is this? What happens here? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with exceedingly great, and keyword, bitter cry. And said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. Hello. Esau just sunk. (laughs) He just collapsed. And it wasn't one of, of, of sadness of the fact that it was purely of bitterness and anger of the fact that he lost. Remember, he could care less of his birthright. He could care less of the family. All he wanted was the money. All I want is what I can get out of dad. I just want the blessings. I want the stuff. And I, he could die. I don't care. I don't care about the birthright. I don't care being firstborn. I just want the stuff. And now he realizes he's not going to get the stuff. And so he's bitter and he's angry. And how could this not happen for me? Why isn't this working out the way I want it to work out? But look what happens. He's going to try to convince his dad. You know he's not going to give up, right? Verse 35. But he said, but he... Dad said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Oh, really, Isaac? You're going to shift blame on the brother, a Jacob, of deceiving you. Versus saying, Esau, your father, I screwed up. I sinned against God. This should not have happened. Jacob was supposed to get it. You know Jacob was supposed to get it. I try to deceive God. I cannot deceive God. I can't get away with these. He could have confessed. He could have been a great example of a godly father who realizes he made a mistake because dads do make mistakes. And just confess it and make it right at that moment and correct and, and make it shine light on the evilness that's going on and confess and repent. But his pride shifted the blame over to the son saying, I was deceived. Really? And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Right? Deceiver, heel catcher. Or in here, he defines it even more. For he has supplanted me these two times. He's deceived me these two times. He is, he's manipulated. He's a conniver. But look. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? He still doesn't get it. That God is the one that, this is what his plan was. This is what was right and good. But he was so determined to get what he wanted that he just doesn't even care what God thinks in this situation. Very dangerous situation they find themselves. And then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master. Oh, now he's revealing what he blessed him for. <laughs> Dude, you're going to be you're going to be under the you're going to be a servant to your brother. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? <laughs> what do I do now for you, son? You're going to serve him. Everything goes to him. Everything, all the blessings. And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And then Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now keep in mind, you can go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. There's a difference between Weeping and crying and bitterness and, and just mad and angry because you lost. 
versus a cry of one who is in of repentance. Esau is not a repentant heart here. He is crying because he didn't get what he wanted. He lost out what he wanted and thought he should have. So he's not a crying of repentance. Oh, I screwed up. I almost screwed up. Oh, no. You are purely crying. And that happens. It's like with your kids. You have to have discernment from God because your kids will do something. You will catch them and you'll, they'll start crying. Oh, I have to be very careful. Little Corey, I better use my own name. Little Corey is crying. He must be repented. He should be fine. And that's the mother saying it. No, and the father saying, no, he's, that kid is not. He's just crying because he got caught. And he knows he's going to get a whipping. Corey is not repentant. He just got caught. That's why he's crying. How many times I've seen in marriages... A husband come and see me. Pastor, I need to see you. And I, within seconds, he's curled up in a ball and he's weeping and crying and wailing and nailing. And I'm looking at him on the floor. Why is this grown man weeping and crying and curled up on the floor? Because she said she wants a divorce. All I do is say, God, give me discernment because is this man truly weeping and crying because he's going to lose his wife? Because he got caught and he messed up? Or is it a weeping and crying of one of repentance? Because there's a difference. But we see in our example here, Esau was not one of repentance, but one of, of loss, of not getting what he wanted. So what does Isaac do? Interesting. He gives him a blessing that we feel now, this is, the, this is the bottom. Boom. Here we go. Watch this. Then, Isaac's, his, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven from above. Yes, you're going to have a lot. You're going to have lots of people and you're going to fill the earth and there's all this stuff is going to come. I'm praying for that. But, verse 40, but your sword, you shall live. You're going to have to fight you're going to have to go battle to battle to battle. You're going to have to fight for everything. You're going to have to use your might and sword to actually survive in this world. And you shall serve your brother. And didn't take that blessing away. You're going to still serve. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Uh-oh, there's the problem at the very end. So when Esau presents the issue to dad, dad did not recant the blessing from Jacob because he knew that that was God's will. If Isaac would have just said, yes, I'll pray that God's going to provide for you, but you're still going to serve your brother. You're still going to have to struggle. You're going to have to fight for this to stay alive. But at the very end, we see a very interesting dynamic of the prayer when you shall break his yoke from your neck when you become restless. When you've had enough of serving your brother. Go out. Break that yoke. Take that yoke and throw it away. And, and, and that's what we see today. We see that played out as clearly as it can be in our society today. Remember two nations. Esau went up to Edom. That brings about the Edomites. So when he's moved to Edom, he becomes the, the tribe of the Edomites. He, that's his heritage. That is what he's bringing about. And they served the Israelites. We see it in the scripture, very clear as can be. But what's interesting is history-wise, if you follow along, you'll see what we're dealing with today in our society. Because now the last Edomite, if you remember that we have know of is Herod the Great, king over Israel during the time of Jesus Christ. He was the last Edomite from that lineage. When is the day Esau will break the yoke uh, Jacob from his neck? When will that happen? When does that happen? I suggest to you, it is the day when the Antichrist raises to power in the rebuilt temple 
on the, in Jerusalem, and he declares that uh, the Israelites are to worship his image. I believe that is when the yoke will be brought about and taken off. We see that taking place in Matthew 24, 15. But let me take you back here on this thread. According to Daniel 9, the Antichrist shall be of the people who destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Remember? The Romans. Why is that a big deal? Well, if you look nationally, nation, the nationality of the Antichrist will most likely be Roman. But his ethnic background will be an Edomine. An Edomine because the prophecy throughout the entire Old Testament indicate that he will be linked ethnically to Esau the Edomite. Esau, Edomite, Edomines, and the Edomines ended up settling into Rome as we will see. And that is where the Romes came down. And we'll continue here. Let me use this. Because as you think this through, why does God say, I hate Esau in Romans 9.13? It's because it is a spirit which travels through Esau's descendants directly to the Antichrist. That is why he declares that. Historically, if you remember, in 70 AD, the Romans, led by General Titus, came down into Jerusalem. Josephus, the historian, says in his book, in Clarity, that 20,000 Edomines were let in the city gates when the Romans were coming and they were ready to go to battle. These Edomines convinced the Jews that they would come in and they would help them fight the Romans. But once they opened the gate and allowed those 20,000 men to come in, they turned on the Israelites and they slaughtered the Jews and made them so weak that the Romans were able to come in and conquer the 70 A.D. Well, we'll think about that through here. As we see these surviving Jews scattered, the Edomines migrated to Italy and settled in the city of Rome, where their descendants are today. Why Rome? Because through Herod, there was a linkage to the Romans. And this same spirit that, that destroyed the Jewish nation and to prevent the Messiah from surviving is the same spirit called the Antichrist. Well, we go back even into the prophecy coming true. If you remember, God's anger at the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, appeared through the Old Testament and it seems so clear, if you go back to the book of Obadiah, it's the only book in the Old Testament devoted to the indictment against a single group of people. But if you also remember, remember the Edomite Haman in the book of Esther, God, God had to keep him from destroying and wipe out all of the Jews at that point. Haman was an Edomite. So any place you see where God, where God had to prevent the spirit of Antichrist to come in and to wipe out the Jews, it brings them back to the same lineage of the Edomines to the Edomites back to Esau. That's why I think the, the scripture is clear. The Antichrist, whoever he is, will rise to power, will come out of the, that European, that Roman area, and it will show the distinct linkage to the Edomites, or the, through the Edomines. Now, how did the Edomines come about? Well, remember, around 3000 BC, the Edomites were driven out of the southeast part of Israel and forced them to um, settle in the West Bank area of Israel that we see today. And we know, and because of them, they became known as the Edomines, while they were in that West Bank area of Israel. Their name just changed, but they're still the Edomites. So historically, we see how this is all going to play out. God sees all this, how this is going to play out, but there's this, this spirit of Antichrist that, is, that is, is settled here on Esau, and it's going to go all the way through until we see it today, all the way in the fact when the Antichrist 
is revealed. But how does he respond here but bitter and envy? Here, verse 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which, with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to hunt him down. I know how to hunt. I'm going to find the man. I'm going to kill him. But what happens? In the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. You are going to go see Uncle Laban. You're going to my uncles. You're going to my brothers. You're going to hide out up there. It's 500 miles away. It's not going to be easy for your brother to get up there and see him. You got to get up there. And here, Rebecca, again, is controlling. She's taking the matter in her own arms and hands because she loves Jacob, and I'm going to protect him because she's my baby. He's, going to, he's got to get out of here. And that's a natural thing for a mother to do. I want to protect my son. But again, nowhere showing anywhere she's seeking after God and seeing what, how to deal with this situation. And then she's really, you can see that she doesn't have clarity. Verse 44, and stay with him a few days. Just a few days. Just a few days. Until your brother's fury turns away. We know by scripture it wasn't a few days. It was 21 years. When she made that decision of prying into what God was going to do, she says to her son, go to see Uncle Laban. In a few days, once your brother calms down, he's you know, got himself together, and I'll, I'll probably, she's probably thinking I'll work on him too. But that was the last time she saw him. That son become dead to her because she never got to see him again. He came back 21 years later and she had already had died. Be very careful. Be very careful acting like you're God and that you know all things because we do not. So what happens? Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be, be revened also of you both in one day? Bereaved in one day. I don't want to lose both of you. I don't want, I don't want this all to take place. This is too grieving for me. So, so now Rebecca has to think of a way to get her son up to her brother's house. She didn't have that power. She has the power because I'm going to speak it and then I'm going to figure out how to take my husband's head and turn it so I can, I'm the neck of, the, of my husband. Bad, bad thing. Because this is what she does. I'm his neck and I'm going to turn it however I want to. Watch what happens. It's not, never good. So she comes to him and says, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And Oh, I'm sorry, verse 46. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my, wife, my life because of the daughters of Heath. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heath, like these who are of the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she's figured out a way. How do I get Isaac to release Jacob to leave? Now, it's interesting. In, the next, in chapter 28, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. It's not like he thought of that. That was Rebecca telling him to tell him, go tell your son he cannot take a wife here in the Canaan and we've got to get him out of here and get him a wife with more appropriate. And just like Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife, Rebecca, to bring to his son. But here we see Dad is sending the son out to find his own wife. Interesting. But isn't it interesting? It doesn't talk about, remember, he just got deceived by his son, Jacob. And now we see him and Jacob talking. We don't see anything of like, son, after I give you the, the spoon for deceiving me. No, he's 77 years old. But obviously, Isaac realizes 
that this was God's plan. And there seems to be no friction there, but he's obviously letting him go very quickly out to do, a, for not because of for safety reasons, but to for a wife. It's interesting how it plays out. So he says, he charged him and said to him, go, you shall take, not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, but arise, verse 2, go to uh, Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And then he gives a little blessing here. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be a, an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. Oh, here's the Abrahamic covenant. He says you should be blessed. Just like God said, blessing Abraham is going to flow to you there, to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, and the mother of Jacob and Esau. It didn't have to be that way. Family's now fragmented. Division, deception is divided. Do not deceive within the family. When you deceive within the family, even the church family, it will bring division. It cannot happen. And then what happens? In verse 6, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to, make, to take himself a wife from there. And that, he, that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Now, interesting. So typical when there's jealousy and envy in the family. Esau, in verse 8, says, Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. Go figure. Really? <laughs> you're now, you're sitting here seeing dad bless your brother again, setting him off to get a, a godly wife, a good wife that meets God's approval, approved wife that was just like Rebecca was given, an approved wife by God to, to Isaac. And what does he do? He's envy. He's jealous. He's realized, uh-oh, I didn't please father with uh, marrying these, these Canaan women. So Esau, in verse 9, went to Ishmael. <laughs> he went to Ishmael and took Mahalalith, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajot, to be his wife in, in addition to the wives he had. He loved polygamy. He had no problem having multiple wives, even though it was against God. He's still thinking, okay, I'll make this better. I'll go find, a, uh, I'll go find Ishmael, and I'll marry one of his daughters, and that's Abraham's you know, son, so my, somehow Isaac will be pleased with me. Are you, are you kidding me? Again, he's just in his flesh, and he's trying to rationalize because he wanted, wanted more. My brother's getting more. I want more. It's just envy and jealousy will cause all kinds of problems and will cause people to make very ungodly decisions for their lives. Verse 10, now Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went toward Haran or Bethuel. So he's traveled now 40 miles. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of, of that place and put it at his head and he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. This is an incredible dream. God is now showing up. This is God's grace. Even though all the deception and all the issues, God shows up by his grace. And look what he does to Jacob. Because, again, this is God's plan. He's going to make this, he's going to orchestrate and bring this around. And he had to touch the heart of Jacob to make it right. He had to bring him to repentance. He had to bring him back around. So how does he do that? He gives him a dream in verse 12. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Notice the order here. 
You can go back and even in John chapter 2 and see this reference of this moment where God is now revealing himself as the ladder. He is the bridge, the ladder between earth and heaven, between the, the, the gap between God and man. He is the ladder. He fills in this gap. And look what happens. He shows him angels of God were ascending and descending, meaning notice the order. They ascended, they went up, then they came back down, which reminds you of Hebrews 1.14, that angels are ministers of God in our lives. That the angels dwell on this earth, and they go from here, and they go up into heaven, they have conversations and do things for God to hear, and they come back down. They're coming and going for those who love God. Not the demons. Only Satan, as, I, as, as all I see, is going up and has any access to talking to God. Once they got cast out, they're out. But God's angels were going up and down. He sees them going up and down, showing a linkage between earth and heaven here. And verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land in which you live or lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the, and to, in the east, to, to the north and the south. And in, you at, and in, your, seed, in your seed, singular, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, singular seed. Because there's one seed. Jesus Christ is the only one that's going to come through. There's one lineage, one place how the, the Messiah will be coming in. And behold, verse 15, I am with you. Now you see the blessings. He's going to, he's going to reassure Jacob of what's changed here. He says, behold, I am with you. I am in your presence right now, Jacob. Do you see this ladder? I am in your presence. Do you see how I'm using angels to minister to those here? Not only am I with you, number one, his presence is here, but I will, will keep you. That means I am going to protect you, Jacob. I'm going to protect you. Wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, I'm going to preserve what I have put in place. I'm going to preserve this. This is, how, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. His promise. His presence is right there. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to preserve my promise, what I have given to your father, to your father's father, to you, and going on. And I'm going to fulfill this. I'm going to complete this. This is not a question. And he's reassuring Jacob of who he is and what he is about to do. How does he respond to it? Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I do not, and I did not know it. He repented. I didn't know God was working in my life. I did not know God was trying to get my attention. I did not know and even recognize God wanted this relationship with me. But I now know it. It's made it very clear to me. So what does he do? Did he have true repentance here? Did he change a heart take place? Well, we see in the remaining of this chapter, and even into 29, there are certain things you can see if someone truly is a child of God who really is truly seeking after God. Look at how he does it. You'll notice these same characteristics in a believer today. Right here he says, I did not know it. Verse 17. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. Do you remember your day of salvation? Do you remember the day when you gave your life to God? You recognize and you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Did you remember that awesome moment, that awesome place? I hope you do. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone. Remember the stone that was behind his neck that he was sleeping on, right? 
and he put it, uh, and he had put it at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Oil represents the spirit of God. There's an anointing. He built an altar with that stone. He poured oil. He, the first sign of a believer is he worships God. He worships God wherever he's at, wherever she's at. You don't see someone worship God? Interesting. Those who truly love God cannot help but worship God right wherever he, they are. First indication. Then you see it continue. Then it says, And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then you see in verse 20, he takes a vow. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I can Come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give, all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So not only is a true believer worships God, but a true believer works and does what God says to do. And in this case, you see that I will give whatever I do, whatever you call me to do, I will give you yours, what is yours, that is a tenth of everything you give me, a tenth, a tithe. Go back in Malachi 3.8. Scripture confirms, as you worship God as a true believer, you will freely give, you will work and do what God's called you to do. And then in 29, we'll see a third element we'll learn next week, Lord willing, is not only a true believer, a worshiper, not only a true worship is, does through his work, but he also, we will see that you notice a true worshiper by his walk. Not just by his talk, but by his walk. You'll be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. That is the grace of God.